of the first things you're going to do during due diligence is finalize your income and expense assumptions. And the two reports that you need for that are the financial document audit and the lease audit report. As a loyal best ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff and we're doing follow along Friday. It's a three part series. And this is part one of three. Theo, how are we kicking it off? As Joe said, this is a three parts. This will be part one of three. And what we're going to talk about is the entire process, starting from once you've secured the contract for an apartment deal as an apartment syndicator up until the close. So kind of high level, we're breaking it down into three distinct parts. Today, we're going to be going over the due diligence process. And then next week or the next follow-along Friday, we'll be going over the financing And then the third part will be about securing private money from investors. So if you've been a loyal listener of this show, it was actually back when me and Joe were together in front of that background, we went over in detail 10 different due diligence reports that you need to obtain. So um, if you need a refresher on that, the title of that YouTube video is 10 Documents Required When Performing Due Diligence on an Apartment. Uh, So we're going to touch on each of those reports, but we went into detail on how to find those how much they cost, things like that in the last episode. Do we know what, what number that is? I'm not sure. If, Grant, if you're listening, if you can go find that and toss that in the comments of the Facebook Live, we'd appreciate that. And then we'll put in the show notes of the podcast as well. So the, before we go into the how to actually review these documents once you've obtained them, we wanted to quickly talk about how you actually pay for these things. So Joe, do you want to just kind of explain briefly how to pay for these actual due diligence documents? Sure. With all the documents, you will compensate the vendor at closing. There might be a local vendor who requires payment up front. That's not typical. What's typical is that for everything, you'll compensate the individuals who do the inspections out of the proceeds from closing. Perhaps your real estate attorney, if you're working with him or her for the first time, will want some sort of retainer up front, but more likely they'll want to be compensated every month. They just bill monthly. So you might have to pay a month or two worth of fees, or they would agree to simply be compensated at closing, especially if you've worked with them before on anything else, they should be fine with that. And though the compensation comes from the equity that you bring to the deal, so you allocate equity for the closing costs, and that is what is used to compensate the individuals and the companies who do these reports. Perfect. If you had to come out of pocket for any things up front, you will be reimbursed for that at the closing as well. 
Okay, perfect. So how do we review these reports? I guess basically when you're underwriting a deal before putting under contract, all of the assumptions you're making are based on the T12 of the trailing 12 month expenses and the rent roll that the real estate broker or the owner sent you. And obviously that's all you have. That's what you use to make those assumptions. Once you're doing the actual due diligence, you're going to essentially go in there yourself through a vendor to look at the actual on the ground, each of the individual units, as well as all the financial documentation to finalize your assumptions. So one of the first things you're going to do during due diligence is finalize your income and expense assumptions. And the two reports that you need for that are the financial document audit and the lease audit report. So just as a refresher, the financial document audit is a consultant that will go in there and look at all of the actual hard financials of the property to determine what the various revenue and expense data actually are. And then they'll send you a report that basically compares what they found to the budget that you created and explain if there are any discrepancies, they'll explain why, or if there are reasons why something went up or something went down, they'll have kind of a written explanation. And the report will come in a PDF form, but there'll be data tables. It'll say your budget, their budget, any notes that they put on it. So you want to use that and kind of review this with your property management company and, and go and look at your underwriting assumptions and go line item by line item and compare it to what this audit discovered to see how accurate your assumptions are. So for example, let's say maintenance assumption is $25,000 a year. And that's what you got from the T12 or based off of the market range of expenses. And then you get the financial document and they discovered that maybe the owner included some maintenance expenses as you know, capital expenditures or something. Then they'll say, oh, it's actually $30,000 per year. And so in that case, it'll kind of be up to you to determine with your property management company if you need to increase that cost. So that's the financial document audit. The other one is the lease audit report where essentially your property management company goes through every single lease and looks at the terms and the language of the lease. For this particular aspect of the review, when you're trying to finalize these income expenses, you want to make sure that the actual rent and any other types of fees that they're being charged, like carports or whatever, match up with the rent roll that you used during the underwriting process. Usually it does, but if it doesn't, that's something else that you'll need to update as well, because obviously if the rents are different, then the income is going to be different after you take over the property. So that's the first part, to finalize your income and expense assumptions. Anything about that, Judge, you want to talk about? Nope. All good. Okay, perfect. So the next important part of the process is this is assuming that you're going to be performing some sort of renovations. And so if you're a value-add investor like Joe, you are going to create a renovation budget during the underwriting process. Usually, if you have experience underwriting, you'll be able to essentially just look at a unit and determine, is it going to be $4,000 to update this to what we want or $7,000? I know for our underwriting and the types of deals that we look at, it's generally between four dollars and $7,000 per unit, depending on the condition and how high of a value we're going to do. But you want to, of course, finalize this and get the actual numbers during the due diligence process. And the two reports that you need for this I guess it's technically three, but it's the property condition assessment, which you'll have a third-party contractor perform, and then also the lender will perform their own. And basically what that'll do is the contractor will walk the building and they will break apart the conditions into three different categories. It will be 
anything that's immediate repairs, recommended repairs, and then continued or ongoing replacements. So the kind of self-explanatory but immediate are things that need to be replaced right away, either right when you take over the property or before you even buy it. Recommended repairs are things that you don't necessarily have to do, but are recommended by the contractor. And then ongoing repairs would be things that, okay, you know, the roof is got a life of 20 years and you're at a 15 year mark. So expect to have to replace the roof within five years. So this PCA is more for the exterior of the property. I'm not necessarily sure if they actually walk through each of the individual units. So this is the report that'll help you finalize your, your exterior budget. So HVAC, siding, roof, lights, parking lot, things like that. Every unit is walked through. And I'll also say on the first part and on this part, you'd mentioned initially it's on the T12. And so you're making sure it lines up with the T12. But then also, in addition to the T12, you're making sure it lines up with your assumptions that you have in place for where you can take the property in the future. So in addition to the T12, it's also helping verify that the renovation premiums are able to be achieved. And in this category, in terms of looking at the units, we're looking at the units, we're seeing how much work is needed to be done currently, but then also we're keeping in the forefront of our mind where we want to take the property in these units relative to the rent comps that we're going to be competing against in the future and make sure that those cost assumptions are lining up. That's exactly what I was going to do next. The second report that you need to look at for the renovation budget, again, as you mentioned, this also ties into the rental premiums that you want is a unit walk report. So that's when the property management company literally walks through every single unit. And depending on the property management company, they'll essentially their own checklist of what they're actually going to look for. So they'll look at the condition of the appliances in the kitchen, the plumbing in the bathroom. They'll look at the conditions of the floors or the carpets. Essentially, an extreme overview of the actual unit. As Joe mentioned, looked at one, deferred maintenance. So if there's anything that needs to be fixed up front to either make that unit ready if it's vacant or something that you know you're going to have to fix once that unit turns over. But secondly, you also want to log information to determine what you need to do to that unit to bring it to the level that you want to get the rental premium that you want. So say, for example, a unit doesn't need any deferred maintenance, but your plan is to put in new floors, put in backsplash in the kitchen, put in stainless steel appliances. This is an example. And every single unit has black appliances, has vinyl floors or something and no backsplash, then that's technically not a maintenance issue. That's a renovation. So that's where that unit walk report will help you determine exactly how much money you're going to spend per unit in order to bring it to ready and then to bring it to the actual level of upgrade that you want to get the rental premium that you want. On that same note, I'll kind of combine it together is actually how to figure out these rental rates. There are a few ways to do this while you're underwriting. One way is to do a full rental comps yourself. So that would be finding, not recent sales, but finding similar apartments in the immediate area that are renovated to a similar degree. They're built around the same time. They have the same type of operations in a sense of they all have the utilities paid by the same entity. So either the tenants or you. And you'll look at the rents, those and compare them to the rents that you currently have to determine what your rents will be once you've gotten to that level of upgrade. But... If the current owner has already performed some upgrades that you plan on just replicating, you can use their 
proven rental assumptions. And that means that they have recently upgraded these units. It's not like they upgraded one unit that year and then they've gotten a rent and you say, oh, well, everything's going to be like that. It has to be, they've renovated a 10 to 15 units and uh, probably even more than that, Joe. How many units would you say they need to have renovated in order for it to be determined as a proven model? It's usually not necessarily a specific number. It's more of a percent. And I'd say 10% would be the minimum. My ideal scenario is buying from a seller who has renovated 15%. That's certainly proven the model. And there's certainly a whole lot left to add value to. Unless I'm incredibly familiar with the submarket. And if that's the case, then 0%. I don't care if they prove the model because I already know the units can get a rent premium. So I want to be able to realize all of that additional value through the work that our team does. Yeah. So is it enough for it to be proven, but not too much that they've already done too many renovations that you're not going to be able to get that value at play? Yep. Okay. That's the second way to determine the rental premiums is a proven rental premiums. And the third way is kind of a hybrid because let's say you are buying a property that they have done some renovations to, but you want to go above and beyond that when you buy the property, then you can use the proven rental comps to figure out you know, the baseline, what you can get if you replicated what they did. But then you also need to look at actual rental comps. So a properties in the area that have similar units to what you plan on doing above and beyond them in order to determine what the rental premium are going to be. Those are three ways to do it prior to the due diligence process. And that's how you get your rental premium assumptions. In order to confirm them, you want to use the market survey report, which is a detailed rental comp that is performed by your property management company. And so they essentially do the same thing that you did, but since they have access to the MLS, they can run an automated report to provide you with a, a detailed PDF file of all of the different apartments that they used and the upgrades for those buildings and then the rents that they're able to get. And then you can compare that to what you plan on doing to confirm or change your rental premiums. So that is the third aspect of the review. So first is to finalize your income and expenses. Second is to finalize your innovation budget. Third is to finalize your rental rates. The last one is to confirm the property value. So you have submitted an offer at a certain price. And generally speaking, the lender is not going to loan just based off of that purchase price. They're going to loan based off of the actual value of the property. And that will be based off of the appraisal. The lender will have their appraiser go in there and appraise the property. And they do the cost approach and then the sales comparison approach, Joe. Yeah, they do the sales comparison approach and the income approach. So how much income does the property generate? And then based on sales comps, what's the valuation of the property that way? Exactly. And so you need to look at that and make sure that, because that's what the lender is going to use when they're loaning on the property. So that might throw everything off if the appraisal comes back at, you know, let's say, I mean, an extreme example is a million dollars lower then your purchase price, where are you going to get that million dollars from? And how is that going to affect your actual terms? And so that's something that that lender will have someone go in there on their report for you. We'll do two different approaches and they'll basically spit out the value for you that the lender will use. I'll go over at the end, you know, what you actually do if it's something in your underwriting changed. I just want to just hit 
on the last two categories. So finally, the fifth one is you want to look at the site survey and the environmental survey to see if there's any deal breakers, basically. Because these are things that if there's an environmental issue, like there's a massive gas tank buried in the backyard or something. I think I heard a story about an apartment built on a location where there used to be a gas station and those gas tanks underneath. And obviously that's like something that needs to be addressed before you buy the property because the lender is not going to give you a loan for that type of property. And then same for the site survey, if there's something wrong with the boundaries or something, those are all things that are going to essentially disqualify you from getting a loan. So unless you plan on paying for the property with all cash, that's something that either the owner needs to address before selling it or the deal is just not going to be able to happen at this moment in time. And so those are just two reports that basically are just, uh, they're kind of binary. It's like, is it, did it pass or did it fail? Uh, if it failed, will the seller fix it? Or is it even fixable? Or are you just going to have to pass the deal? And then lastly, you've got two reports that are essentially value-add reports. So you've got a green program report, and then you've got the RUBS um, program report. So for the green program, environmental consultant will go in there and look at the analyze the property to see if there's any energy saving measures that can be implemented. So for example, could you put in low flow showers and toilets? Those are things that I know you guys usually do because ROI is really high. Something as simple as putting on a pool cover will save you a lot of costs. And then there's other things that will have the ROI for implementing this. So it requires an investment and there's a cost saving associated with that investment. If it's about five years, or three years, and your business plan is five years, then of course it's something you want to do. But I know like, I was looking at one of the green reports and it was like, put in energy efficient dishwashers and your ROI is like 96 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously that's probably not something that you want to do unless you're putting in dishwashers for different reasons, or you're putting in stainless steel dishwashers in order to to demand a rental premium. That report will be broken out. You'll look at that and and look at the ROI and figure out what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Um, something else that you want to take into account for this is if there's anything like safety related. Like, for example, I know you guys will, will put exterior LED lights that necessarily don't have um, an ROI that's within your hold period, but it also increases resident safety with having spotlights outside of the units. So that's something else you want to take into account. The cost savings, but also will this increase the safety because that's something that will indirectly affect the demand of your property. Yep. And then the other one's the RUBS program. Sometimes you buy a property and this will already be done, but if it's not, this is something that you want to get a contractor out there to analyze the property, determine how much of the utilities you can build back. So the RUBS program is essentially a build back program where they'll determine how much of the utilities are being used per resident. And then you'll be able to build that back to the resident. And that will be essentially an other income that it's collecting. So the green report and the RUBS program are two things that are kind of like value add reports. As far as I understand, they're not required, but they're something that you want to do in order to kind of add that extra value to the deal. And with the RUB program, it's basically a rent increase for your residents. So you'll want to know what the competition is doing. And if they're not doing it, then keep that in mind that it will be more dollars out of pocket for the residents. So make sure that your market is strong enough. And by strong enough, I mean has a low vacancy for your sub-market so that if you do have the resident turnover, you can bring in other residents who will be paying the bill back for the utilities. And that vacancy number, that will be included in that market survey report that your property manager will do. So just to summarize, 
First, you finalize your income and expense assumptions by looking at the financial document audit report and the lease audit report. You finalize your renovation budget from the internal property condition assessment and the unit walk report. Finalize your rental rates from the market survey report. And as you mentioned, you need to pull the vacancy from that for the rubes. You will confirm the property value with the appraisal. You will see if there's any deal breakers on the site survey and the environmental survey. And then, then you will review the green program report and the rubes report to see a rubs. What, a rubs report. <laughs> what am I saying? Rubes? Rubes. You talk, you're talking real fancy. <laughs> to see what additional value you can add. So at this point, let's say, for example, you unit walk report and you realize that your interior innovation budget is going to be $1,000 more per unit than you expected. So you'll go back to your, your financial model and you'll type in you know, that increase. And then let's say your returns, whatever the returns you're looking at for your investors, so a cash on cash return during the whole period, it's an IRR number. And let's say that dips below. So let's say you were projecting an 18% for an IRR and it dips down to 15% IRR. At this point, this is something where you'll have to renegotiate the purchase price. So at this point, after you've viewed all these documents, that's when you get with your real estate broker to have a conversation about renegotiating the purchase price. And again, the seller might accept that, they might counter, or they might say, no, we're not doing that. The price is hard. So when you tell your actual contract, there'll be a due diligence timeline. And uh, during that due diligence timeline, it's basically like uh, the deal is contingent on the due diligence. And so as long as there's that contingency in the contract, you are able to back out if it's within specified timeline that is on the contract that you and them agreed to. And so you want to make sure that one, you get these reports done within that timeline. Two, you review them in time. And three, you're able to negotiate that purchase price before that time expires. So yeah, that is essentially the, the part one of what happens once a syndicator, either you as a passive investor, wanting to understand the syndication process. This is part one of three parts of what the syndicator will do between the contract and the close. Next week, we'll be going into the whole entire process of securing financing from the lender. So is there anything else you wanted to talk about about the due diligence before we move on, Joe? No, I just wanted to thank you for walking us through that. It was very thought out and methodical and certainly a question that we get frequently. So I'm glad that we addressed it. Thanks a lot. Awesome. So do you have any updates or... Yeah, real real quick. Updates. Let's see. We got 890 units under contract. We'll be closing in the next month and two months, June and July on those properties. It's in total three properties to continue to do the due diligence as you just described on those properties. And then we sold a property earlier this month and we're selling another property this coming Monday. We'll be doing some 1031 exchanges on both those deals. So we're in the process of looking for exchange properties for those two deals. So very active. And most importantly, we're keeping our head down on the existing portfolio that we have and focusing on the performance of those. We're really focusing right now on generating online reviews, uh, just an area of focus that we have. So we're doing some resident community events, encouraging them to write reviews, having laptops at those events for them to do so. 
and excited about what we got going on right now and where we're headed. Okay, well, congrats on the sale and congrats on the two new properties in the contract. Maybe we'll have a recap. We'll talk about that one specific deal, taking it full cycle and any lessons that you learned from that. Yeah, that's cool. All right, for just a wrap up, make sure you guys check out the Best Ever Community on Facebook. That's uh, bestevercommunity.com. In order to answer the question of the week and be featured in a blog, uh, this week's question, and hopefully Joe likes this one a little bit better, is what is your process for staying up to date on the national real estate market and your local real estate market? So ongoing wise, what types of reports are you looking at? What types of articles, news sites? Are you going to actual events to keep up to date? For me personally, what I do, I got this from Joe, is Google Alerts. So I have a Google Alert set up for my city plus the word real estate. I have one set up for apartments, for multifamily, and for unemployment. And I think I have one for jobs too. And then I'm not sure if they have this in every single city, but I have a, the Biz Courier newsletter sent to my inbox. I feel like they're in the morning and they email me at night and then any breaking news. That's actually a really great resource for local developments and business. Unfortunately, you get a pay, I think it's hundred bucks a year, but the hundred bucks is totally worth it. And I think if you do that, you get newspaper sent to your house at the same time. And then for a national level, I look at a variety of commercial real estate reports. I've got the acronyms for them, so I don't know exactly what these stand for, but I've got the CBRE, Biannual Cap Rate Report. There's a RCLCO, Quarterly Report, which is just the state of the real estate market for that past quarter. The IRR Trends, the PWC Trends, and the Marcus and Millitrap Forecasts. And those three will be things that are forecasts or trends for that actual coming year. Um, if you use Google, you know, those you know, CBRE, Biannual Cap Rate Report, like it, it'll come up. You don't need to know exactly what that stands for at this moment in time. <laughs> I do stuff similar to what you mentioned. And the only thing I'd mention in addition to that is the majority of our portfolio is in Dallas, Fort Worth. Therefore, I have a paid subscription to the Dallas Morning News. And on my phone, I have a little shortcut to the business section of the Dallas Morning News. So I can just click that and then I get all the latest business news. And I'd say 25% of it is maybe 30% is real estate related. So that keeps me up to date on the DFW market in particular. A hack that I discovered on that Dallas website, and you only get like a couple of articles before you have to pay for it. But if you type in that URL and then you hit the, like right when it just downloads, you hit the stop loading button, you can just read the entire report <laughs> without having to have a paid subscription or anything. So that's just a, a hack. I mean, it might not work on every single one, but that's just something that if you guys need to see a report, uh, you guys can do that. <laughs> so the last thing that we always talk about is the review of the week. This week's review is from Eric. And he says, Joe, who is, who is typing during your podcast? Tell the amateur to stop. And now it's going to be who's got the barking dog in the background during your podcast. And uh, that's going to be Theo. That's his fault. And <laughs> so it was not a friendly review. It was a review of feedback. That's for sure. So just to read it again, in case Ellie, Theo's puppy dog, who's barking at something, you couldn't hear it. And Eric says, Joe, and this is all caps, by the way, who is typing during your podcast? Exclamation mark, question mark then tell the amateur to stop. So what happens when we get this type of feedback? One, we ask, or I ask, can it serve me? 
And absolutely, it can serve me. The execution of the feedback, I don't like it. I don't like how they were very aggressive, but I appreciate them caring enough about listening to the content that they're upset, seemingly, since it's all caps, about the quality. So that I wholeheartedly embrace. And anytime I get feedback like this, whether it's about the podcast or real estate or whatever, I first think to myself, how can it serve me? How can it serve the greater good for what we're doing? That's why I chose to select this review as our review of the week because it certainly was not a review in iTunes. This was an email actually through my website. So one, who's typing? It was me. Two, most importantly, I have purchased a quiet keyboard and it is being delivered today. So that should not be a problem anymore. And then also I had our editor come by yesterday and he worked with me on some sound settings so that the sound will be enhanced. So Eric, even though I don't like your execution on how you sent me a message, I appreciate your passion for the show and I'm grateful that you're a loyal listener. And I'm more importantly, I'm grateful that you called out something that needed to be fixed. And I also have implemented a process within my team so that we can catch this stuff internally and it doesn't get to the point where it upsets people. So thank you for your feedback and we have it addressed and that should be fixed in the future. And then also there are things that come up on a a daily podcast. Even though we've done about 1400 episodes, things still come up where we have to enhance the process. For example, today, Theo and our connection was cutting out throughout our conversation. So now a next step I'm going to take is I'm going to talk to the team and get something fixed on my computer. And it might not happen for next week, but it will get fixed. So appreciate all the comments. And if you are enjoying the podcast, then please leave a review in iTunes. That will be very helpful. And if you do have feedback for how we can continue to enhance the experience for you as a best ever listener, then feel free to give that as well via personal message. Don't put that in iTunes. We don't want to hear that in iTunes. Just do a personal message. We'll get it fixed. And then you can write the review in iTunes. Uh, And I think you can email info at joefairless.com for any of that feedback. So thanks again for spending some time with us. I hope you got a lot of value from this conversation and we'll talk to you soon. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. If you have a smaller rental portfolio, then here's a no-brainer for you. Hemlane's property management platform automates the entire rental life cycle. With connections to local agents and maintenance coordinators, you are in control and have more free time. Check them out at hemlane.com. That's H-E-M-L-A-N-E dot com.